0: In 2016, the United States' poorest congressional district, NY15, was also the most democratic, meaning that its residents voted for Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton at a higher margin than any other district in the country. Given the highly racialized context of politics in the United States, these two facts do not seem to be a coincidence. Is this evidence of a connection between intense poverty and widespread democratic support? To answer this question, it is important to mention the racial demographic of this district is 66% Hispanic and 28% Black, making it the district with the highest concentration of people of color in the U.S. The second poorest district, 96% White, received a Cook Partisan Voter Index of R plus 31 in 2017. This means that in the previous two presidential elections, this district's voting outcomes were 31 percentage points more Republican than the national average. In an already polarized political climate, poverty seems to exacerbate its effects. What influence does our seemingly race-driven political leanings have on the formation of the economic initiatives proposed for the resolution of what are not just regional, but national income inequality issues? More specifically, I aim to dissect both parties' platforms to see what they claim to believe in and how well their policies measure up. Above offering a solution, my aim is to demystify misconceptions about not only the parties and their beliefs, but about the electorate and who is really being represented. Voting patterns of each district appear to be fairly uniform in their respective lanes. Both of these districts have elected the same representative for several election cycles. In Kentucky's 5th district, where the median household income was $31,731 in 2017, Hal Rogers has been the representative for four decades and has garnered no less than 73% of the vote since 2000. For NY15, where the median household income was $28,042 in 2017, Jose Serrano served as the district's representative from 2013 to 2019. Before Serrano, New York's 15th district was represented by Charles Rangel from 1993 to 2013. For context, The median household income in 2017, according to the American Community Survey, was 60,336, putting the poorest district well under half, and the second poorest quite close. In both districts, the leading occupation is in healthcare and social support. The next largest areas for Kentucky workers are retail, manufacturing, and educational services. For New York, sales and related occupations grounds and maintenance occupations, and office and administrative support round out the top four occupation areas. The similarity in occupations for these two starkly different geographical regions, one wholly urban and one mainly rural, indicates the consolidation of low labor in both districts. Many of these occupations are part of what is called the gig economy. As workers' rights attorney Shannon Liss-Royden puts it. We've been seeing in recent years more and more companies that are trying to classify their workers as independent contractors rather than as employees. And when companies do this, they, they sidestep all labor protections because if the workers aren't employees, not only do they not have to Abide by all of the wage laws and all of the employment rules that we have in place to protect workers, but the companies get to save on uh, their tax obligations. Another way to measure political sentiment in each district is 538 September 2018 elasticity score. The elasticity score given to a district is a measure of how influential a change in national moods is on the political leanings in a specific area. In 2018, 538 ranked New York's 15th district as one of the least elastic, giving it a score of .77. This evaluation indicates that the district tends to vote similarly from year to year, and even within elections. After being the most Democratic leaning district during the 2012 and 2016 election cycle, this elasticity score could be interpreted as obvious. However, it is important to mention that the poorest district status of New York's 15th is not new. In 2010, the area of the South Bronx, which includes the three to seven mile area in and around Yankee Stadium, was then classified as New York's 16th district and also the poorest. Fast forward to 2021, the same area is still the poorest in the nation, but has since been renamed District 15. Despite the normal occurrence of redistricting, the area of the South Bronx has remained the poorest in the country for over a decade. The sensible thing one might assume is that eventually the residents of this district would demand drastic change. However, the voting patterns of Kentucky's fifth district and New York's 15th reflect support for the representatives of their party, the same ones directly responsible, at least in part, for both districts' stagnant economic standing. There are obviously many reasons as to why a predominantly black and Hispanic area would be highly entrenched in the Democratic party, and vice versa for a predominantly white district but for the Republican party. One of those reasons may stem from the sentiments shared by a sizable number of white Republicans. A 2016 Pew Research study found that 39% of Republican or Republican-leaning Americans viewed the prospect of a nation in which Black Americans, Latinos, and Asian Americans make up a majority of the population to be bad. When compared to the total number of respondents saying that a white minority America is bad, the Republican share was 17 points higher. By 2020, the percentage of Republicans or Republican-leaning U.S. adults that viewed more ethnic and racial minorities than whites in the U.S. negatively dropped closer to 20, but was still twice as much as the total population that views this change as negative. This disparity between the average American and the average Republican seems to indicate there is something present in the Republican platform or messaging that encourages these negative views. At the very least, right-wing media outlets continually stoke fear concerning more racial and ethnic minority groups in the US. For example, Fox News is the most watched cable news network and Tucker Carlson's show is the most watched on cable news, roughly drawing more than three million viewers a night. Listen to this compilation of Carlson continually professing talking points from the right-wing replacement conspiracy theory. The Democratic Party is trying to replace the current electorate, the voters now casting ballots, with new people, more obedient voters from the third world. That's what's happening, actually. Let's just say it. That's true. Democrats know if they keep up the flood of illegals into the country, they can eventually turn it into a flood of voters for them. When you offer someone citizenship, free health care, free education, housing vouchers, and free food, all things they don't have in their own country, their political success does not depend on good policies. but on demographic replacement and they'll do anything to make sure it happens. So every time they import a new voter, I become disenfranchised as a current voter. They're diluting it. No, they're not allowed to do that. Why are we putting up with this? These points echo the words of white supremacist mass shooters and domestic terrorists word for word. But. Where are these ideas coming from? And does the Republican platform support or denounce them? National party committees release platforms every four years before presidential election, detailing what the party's main tenants are. The Republican National Committee's executive committee voted on June 10th, 2020, to adopt the same platform the party adopted on July 18th, 2016. After vaguely referencing terrorism, drug cartels, human trafficking, and criminal gangs, that 2016 platform states, quote, our highest priority, therefore, must be to secure our borders and all ports of entry and to enforce our immigration laws, end quote. Furthermore, under the section titled Confronting the Dangers, the platform echoes Trump's xenophobic campaign trail rhetoric, almost word for word, stating, quote, to keep our people safe, we must secure our borders, enforce our immigration laws, and properly screen refugees and other immigrants entering from any country." End quote. For context, Trump was declared the presumptive Republican nominee by Republican National Committee Chairman Reince Priebus on May 3, 2016. This means the committee had just over two months to emulate the talking points that won over the Republican primary voters. This could be one of the great tactical ploys of all time. A 200,000-man army, maybe. Donald Trump told voters in New Hampshire he doesn't want the U.S. to host Syrian refugees, claiming they could be part of ISIS. I'm putting the people on notice that are coming here from Syria as part of this mass migration, that if I win, if I win, they're going back. They're going back, I'm telling you. For reference, the 2012 party platform only mentions refugees once, and it's in favor of them, stating, quote, we affirm our country's historic tradition of welcoming refugees from troubled lands." End quote. While the anti-illegal immigration theme is still present, out of the 15 mentions of immigrants or immigration, six denounce illegal immigration and the Obama administration's policies on immigration. While the remaining nine were in support of legal immigration, albeit under limited guidelines. In fact, Granting more work visas to holders of advanced degrees was hailed as the solution for, quote, restoring our domestic economy and reclaiming this country's traditional position of dominance in international trade, end quote. Lastly, the only mention of immigration as a safety concern in the 2012 Republican Party platform is for the, quote, life and death situations facing the men and women of border patrol, end quote. Not average Americans, like the 2016 platform suggests. Not only is the Republican platform not consistent with itself after showing it can literally copy and paste the same platform for two election cycles, but the number of unauthorized immigrants in the US peaked in 2007 at 12.2 million continually declining each year afterwards, according to Pew Research data. Furthermore, the Center for Migration Studies estimates that in 2016, 62% of the undocumented were here because they overstayed their visas, versus 38% who crossed the border illegally. This means the immigration policy championed in the 2012 Republican platform can be credited for the majority of unauthorized immigrants in the US. This contradiction hints at another. The 2016 Republican platform states, quote, we will eliminate as many special interest provisions and loopholes as possible and curb corporate welfare, especially when the erosion of the tax base has created pressure for higher rates end quote without initiating any substantive reforms to special interest provisions and appointing former corporate executive to leadership positions in his administration donald trump with the help of the majority republican run house and senate passed the tax cut and jobs act in 2017 The act reduced the top corporate tax rate from 35% to 21, a 40% reduction. Actual corporate income tax revenue in fiscal year 2018 was $135 billion lower than the Congressional Budgets Office projection from 2017, almost exactly a 40% decline. Despite the administration's claim of success, Trump's tax bill, did not increase wages for working people, failed to spur business investments, decreased corporate tax revenues, and boosted stock buybacks. A 2019 Economic Policy Institute report explains how the Tax Cut and Jobs Act has spurred record-breaking stock buybacks, rising more than 50% to $560 billion in 2018 but failed to boost U.S. workers' wages or deliver broad prosperity for low-income communities or communities of color. By 2019, wage growth began to decelerate and, followed by the beginning of the pandemic in 2020, continued to stagnate or worsen. This act is just one example of the Republicans party's disregard for most Americans and even a significant part of its own rank and file supporters. and a continued ploy to enrich established Republicans and increase corporate gains. These two practices go hand in hand. Before exploring the Democratic Party's similar tendencies, let's tackle politics by the numbers to better understand who is voting and how. Based on surveys conducted among more than 360,000 registered voters over the past 25 years, including more than 12,000 in 2018 and 2019, the Pew Research Center recently illuminated info on party affiliation in 2020. Overall, 34% of registered voters identify as independents, 33% as Democrats, and 29 as Republicans. In 2019, white voters made up 69% of the electorate, down from 85 in 1996. Of those white voters, 53 lean Republican, and 42 lean Democrat. When it comes to non-white voters, only 17% identify with the Republican Party, versus 40% who lean Democrat. Additionally, a 52% majority of registered voters are ages 15 and older. These voters make up a majority of Republicans weighing in at 56% compared to half of Democrats. Lastly, 56% of women align with the Democratic Party, compared with 42% of men. And this makes sense, considering at least six and 10 of all GOP-aligned groups say that obstacles that once made it harder for women than men to get ahead are now largely gone and comparatively large majorities say that the country has made a lot of progress over the past 50 years in ensuring equal rights for all Americans, regardless of race and ethnicity. To round out the long list of demographics, it is important to mention that while 44% of all voters are white Christians, in 2021, 63% of whites identifying as Protestants, but not as evangelicals, said abortion should be legal in all or most cases. Compared to 77% of white evangelicals that said abortion should be illegal in all or most cases. These numbers, coupled with the slim margins state and presidential elections are won by, are crucial in understanding why the Republican platform focuses so heavily on abortion. Despite the majority of Americans and Protestant Americans supporting abortion in all or most cases, Republicans focus on this issue at the expense of other policies that may help a larger sector of Americans. The Democrats do the same. Late in 2021, Democrats controlled the legislative and executive branches of 18 states. This means both the State Senate and House had Democrat majorities, granting them the power to veto almost any measure they opposed. Despite this, several Democrat-run states led the nation in housing, tax, and education inequality, matters that Democrats mentioned more than 73, 64, and 105 times respectively in the 2020 party platform. For starters, in California, Democrats have a majority in the state Senate and House, and have a Democrat governor alongside Democrat mayors in most major cities. Despite this, since 2018, California had 24% of the nation's total homeless population. This is clearly an indication of California's massive population. However, no one knows that better than the legislators that have continually supported sharp decreases in housing permits, despite a steady growth in population. One proven measure of combating homelessness is to increase the number of high density buildings like duplexes or apartment complexes. However, residents in highly democratic voting areas such as Palo Alto have voted to strike down such initiatives mid construction. Therefore, not only are legislators in California actively decreasing the number of housing permits, but so are the supposedly liberal residents. On the issue of taxation, another state that checks off all the majority Democrat control requirements is home to the highest tax inequality in the nation. The bottom 20% pays 17% of the taxes, while the top 1% pays only 3%. Within that top 1% are Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates, longtime Washington state residents. This billionaire friendly tax code runs contrary to the 2020 Democratic Party platform where they state, quote, our tax system has been rigged against the American people by big corporations and their lobbyists. End quote. Nevada and Illinois also rank among the top 10 in tax inequality, proving Washington state is not an isolated example. But yes, consumption should be progressively, progressively taxed, and we should understand the consumption. Its inequality of consumption is more an injustice than a number in in a book is. Hmm. So inequality of consumption is the real inequality we should be worried about. I, I suppose you would also say that inequality of opportunity is that which is the greatest affront to dignity. I think I'm sort of paraphrasing yep, parts no, of I your agree letter. With that. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. That yeah. both measures we should understand inequality of opportunity and inequality of consumption way better than we do today. (music) Lastly is a matter the 2020 Democratic Party platform declared a quote, critical public good, education. This last example takes us to Democrat controlled Illinois, specifically Cook County, which encompasses the city of Chicago. Ideally, this would be one school district. Instead, this overwhelmingly Democrat area is broken up into more than 140 districts, creating a new form of redlining, essentially hoarding resources for small districts and leaving poorer and often predominantly black areas with dilapidated buildings and poor schooling materials. The state has the power to collect all the real estate taxes and equally redistribute them but it continually does not do so. This behavior is starkly different from the quote, we must provide a world-class education in every zip code to every child, end quote, present in the 2020 Democrat platform. Given that lower income, people of color, and black Americans secured the presidency for Joe Biden and Democrats by flipping states and winning seats in Congress, legislators and their fellow Americans should live by what they preach and support the policies that aim to provide a more decent living for them. Some Democrat-run states are on the right path, For example, New York City council members voted into law the right for 800,000 green card holders and authorized workers to vote for mayor, city council, and other local offices. This is in line with historically better opportunities offered in some blue states, like California's recent ban on single family zoning. However, if blue states do not or want to continue being the leaders, In the homelessness crisis, as well as educational and tax inequality, legislators must act in accordance with their own party's platform.